0: Now, through this uh, this, this summer we 've been talking about how God is misunderstood, right those times where we think we understand what god 's heart or god 's intentions are, and maybe we 've read or we 've heard a verse in the Bible and we 've used that to kind of to kind of understand what God thinks about a certain thing and we're coming to realize through this series that sometimes we can totally misunderstand God, right? Sometimes we can totally miss God because we don't read a verse in the Bible in the greater context. That we don't look at maybe perhaps the verses before or after. Maybe you receive an email with a a verse of the day in it and you don't have the context. And sometimes in those moments we can misinterpret or misunderstand what God is saying. And so through this series, we're taking some of the most popular verses of the Bible and we're looking at them and saying, okay, what does God really mean with what he says? Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at a commonly misunderstood verse in the Bible that is written in regards to children. But I think this is going to be applicable to all of us, whether you're a parent, active parent right now or not, because I believe, as I, as I look around this room, that pretty much all of you have an amount of influence, a degree of influence in children's lives. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or you're a teacher or a coach or a a teacher on Sunday mornings in our children's ministry or on Sunday nights in our student ministry. And so I feel like this is a message that's going to be really applicable to all of us. But before we launch into that, I want to ask you a question to kind of whet your appetite a little bit. When it comes to the kids in your life, whether it's kids that you are actively parenting right now or maybe kids that you have influence over in your life, what would you say are the most important values or traits that you hope are instilled in them? I mean, think about it. If there was one value or one trait that you knew that that child in your life that you are so, that you care so deeply about if there was just one value that you wanted to be sure was instilled into them what would it be my guess is as i look around this room that choice would that value wouldn't be wealth or the or accomplishments in life although you might think those are important you might say yeah i, I would love to see that that, that my kid would become more responsible or would become tolerant. But those perhaps aren't even your greatest or most valuable trait as well. I bet you, for most of you, if you had to just pick one, you'd pick faith, wouldn't you? You'd say, if I could pick anything, I'd want to make sure that my child or that child that I'm investing in, that they come to some point in their life have a relationship with the living God. How did I do? Did I guess pretty right there? Now, you might, this might surprise you, but if that's true of you, you're in a minority here in the United States because most parents in the United States would not have picked that characteristic or that trait to be the primary one. There was a... Uh, there was a big survey that was done just a few years ago. I don't know if you heard, if you heard about it. It was done globally. And 82,000 uh, parents were, were approached in 50 different countries. And they were asked that one question. They, said, they were asked, if you had one trait that you would pick to instill in your child, what would it be? And they gave them a, about a dozen different options. On the screen here, I don't know if you can see this, but I'm comparing the United States here from this survey that was done, to the country of Yemen, which could not you would think couldn't be a more different culture, right? But what you find, if you were able to dig into this, and actually in your online sermon notes, you can look at this a little more clearly at mygrace.church. You can actually pull up any two countries you want of those 50, and you can compare them to each other and see what parents value more or less in what they instill into their children. And with, when you compare the United States and Yemen, what you find is both of them, both in both countries, is that there's a high... Value in making kids responsible and also making sure that kids become tolerant of others. But then there's this divergence, if you'll notice on the left, where parents in Yemen, there's a high, high value in making sure that their kids have faith instilled to them. More than twice as much as parents in the United States, while in the United States it's flipped with hard work. More than twice as many parents in the U.S. want to make sure their kids have hard work instilled into them as opposed to faith. Now, unless you might think, well, this maybe is a skewed survey, and maybe uh, if, you were, if other surveys were done, you would find different results. Actually, at the very same time that th- that survey was done, one was done by Pew research here in the United States. And they asked, they picked 12 other values. They were almost all the same, but pretty much uh, uh, they were pretty similar to the other study. And when they surveyed all these people in the United States, these parents, the number one trait according to Pew Research, that parents are looking for is to make sure that kids become responsible. Number one. Number two was hard work. And number 11 out of 12 was faith. Number 11 out of 12. And in fact, some of these findings showed that some American parents, some Western parents, didn't even want to really instill faith into their kids because they were concerned that their kids might get picked on in school or with their friends if they had faith deeply instilled into them. It should come as no surprise to you that many of these kids turn out rejecting faith as they become adults. But what about those parents who do care, who want their kids to have a meaningful relationship with God? Well, that brings us to our main scripture today, which I want us to look at, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. So, again, if you have your Bibles with you and encourage you to turn there, I'll have this verse on the screen. You can follow along at mygrace.church. But it's Proverbs 22, verse 6. And this is what it says you, Some of you may know this verse well. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Pretty simple, straightforward, right? Direct your children onto the right path. Or as other translations might say, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. Now, when you first look at this verse, it looks like a wonderful promise, doesn't it? A beautiful promise to God, a guarantee that no matter what your child does or doesn't do, it's just a matter of time before they are on their knees and they are following God. But is that what this is really saying? If so, what about all those parents who did their best to raise children to follow God who ended up having their children grow up to be adults who didn't? What do you say to them? Did they just kind of miss the boat? Did they not parent well? Did they not raise up their children in the way that they should go? Is it the parent's fault? As parents... Or even mentors, many of us constantly wonder, are we doing this parenting thing good enough? Are we mentoring well enough? I know for me as a parent, there are so many times I just wonder, am I totally screwing up my kid? I have a 14 year old getting ready to be 15. He just started high school this week. Scares me to death, particularly because he's a pastor's kid and pastors are just known for screwing up their kids, (laughs) right? And I, so many times I'm like, okay, God, am I, am I being too harsh? Am I being too tough? Am I not being tough enough? And, you know, these thoughts can just kind of swim in our minds as parents all the time, especially when it comes to faith. Are we, are we, am I instilling in my kid what I want them to have so that they will walk away with it? Or am I turning them away from it and not even realizing it? Other parents, though, can have the to- a totally different approach I've seen other parents take this verse and say, well, Proverbs says that you know, if I train them up in the way they should go, they'll never depart from it, so I don't really have anything to worry about. I just I, Whether they lack it or not, God's going to kill them in and they're going to come become a follower of Jesus sooner or later. I don't have to really worry about it. They don't even have a choice in the matter. Even worse, I have seen this verse used as a spiritual club at times in the church. I've seen... Over my years of ministry, some rebellious teenagers or young adults who aren't really following God, even though they were raised in faith, and I have heard church people whisper, hmm. I wonder what that those parents did wrong. I, I wonder if their faith is really genuine. Maybe, maybe, maybe though their parents' faith, that kid's parents' faith, maybe it's just really a kind of a facade. I've seen parents racked with guilt because of this verse, thinking I must have done something wrong. The fact that they aren't following God right now, it it has to be on me. It's all my fault. And if that's you this morning, if you're in that place today where you have struggled with guilt in that area because you have a child right now who isn't particularly following God or hasn't made God a priority in his or her life, let me just say to you, our big idea today, the thing that I want you to come away with more than anything else this morning is this. Your child's faith is guided by you but it is not controlled by you or your parenting. Let me say that again. Your child's faith is guided by the direction you give, but it is not controlled by your parenting, no matter how good of a parent you are. And that is what I believe this verse is really all about this morning as we unpack it. That's what I believe God's saying to us. Today, I want us to have a really good understanding of this one verse in Scripture because I think if we truly understand what God's saying in this verse and what the intention is, it it can be life-giving to us and it, we can use it to be life-giving to others who struggle. So before, before I even carry this on any farther, I just want to take a moment and pray for some of you in this room right now. God, I want to pray for those young parents who are in this room right now. Lord, I believe with all my heart there are some... Parents in this room who are wondering if they're parenting well. God, I pray that today you would speak clearly to them. That you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. That you would bring some direction where direction is needed to help these parents see how to make those next steps with their kids. But Lord, I also pray for those in this room who are struggling with seeing a young adult or a teenager who isn't following you right now. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to see from this passage what you're truly saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, with our time, with the time I have left, here's what I want to do. I want to just lay a few basic concepts, maybe like three concepts at uh, at your feet to kind of consider about this verse to help you fully understand what we're talking about here. And then I'm going to give you a few takeaways. The first concept I want to give you, and this is is a big one. This is one I think we oftentimes miss. And that is that the book of Proverbs is a book of principles and not promises. Let's look at this verse again, Proverbs 22, 6. Direct your children in the right path, and when they are older, they won't depart from it. Now, what we've learned through this series is, is when you take a verse of Scripture, it's all about context, right? If you don't look at the verses before and after it, sometimes you can miss what God's really saying. It'd be just like you receiving an email from someone, but you only read the the seventh line in the email and you ignore all the rest. And you assume that you understand the whole context of what that email is saying based on the seventh line. I mean, would you do that? That'd be crazy, Right. So we don't do that when it comes to God speaking to us. But this morning, unfortunately, that really doesn't help us with this verse because when you look at the book of Proverbs, what you find is it's a collection of one-liners, right? It's a collection of sayings, of, of nuggets of wisdom. And they're all very, very different. But here's what I, here's the, what I want you to take away from this. is That is what the book of Proverbs is all about in the first place. Now, when you look at different books of the Bible, if you've read many of the books of the Bible, what you've probably found is they're written very different from each other, aren't they? I mean, some books of the Bible, they are written as poetry or worship songs. And then you flip over and look at others, and you see parables or stories that are meant to teach a lesson. And then you look at still other books of the Bible and you see that they're written as historical accounts or as prophetic words for the future. Now, when you look at the book of Proverbs, what you find is it is a collection of pithy sayings, a collection of wisdom to help us live a wise and fruitful life. It's very similar to the book of Ecclesiastes, kind of along the same lines. These two books of the Bible are a part of a collection known as wisdom literature because of the way that they're written. Now Proverbs compares over and over again through in the book the way of the wise with the way of the fool and it gives examples of smart choices to avoid pitfalls in life. And again the, all of these these sayings in Proverbs are meant to be principles not promises necessarily from God. They're meant to be guidance not guarantees. And give me give you an example. Have you ever heard the proverb, an apple a day keeps the doctor away? Have you heard that? Now that's not in the Bible, right? But, but is that always true? Is that some sort of airtight guarantee? If you just eat an apple a day, you never will get sick. You'll never have to go to the doctor ever again in your life. I guarantee you, if you only eat an apple a day, you will find yourself at the doctor's office real quick. Right? <laughs> Now, you might say, oh, Dave, but you're comparing apples and oranges here. We're talking about the Bible, and the Bible is God's word. It's always true. Okay, okay. Well, follow me for just a moment. Do you still have Proverbs 22 open? If not, open it back up here for just a minute. I want to show you something. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 4. It says, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and a long life. Do you believe that only the rich people in the world are those who are humble and live a long life? Look at verse 11. It says, whoever loves a pure heart and gracious speech will have a king as a friend. How many of you happen to have kings as personal friends? Raise your hand. I see one or two hands in the room. I'd love to find out more about that a little bit later. Does that mean that you're you're just a totally ungracious person and you really don't have a pure heart? Verse 29, look at verse 29. Verse 29 says that competent workers find themselves working for kings. So are all of you just a bunch of lazy bums? Proverbs chapter 3 says that if you obey scripture, you will live a long life. Now, it would be offensive to you, to many of you, if I told you that that was some sort of promise or guarantee. Because I bet many of you, you've had someone close to you who loved God but their lives were cut short. Right? So have I made my point? <laughs> it doesn't mean that you should ignore Proverbs. It ju- it's just meant to understand how the book is written, how God is presenting it to us. It's meant to be, the whole book of Proverbs, it's meant to be wisdom, general guidelines for your life, not some sort of airtight guarantees that if you just do A, B will always happen. It's just not how it's intended to be. And this verse today is reminding us of the importance of training up our children to know God. Just like our bodies are better with apples, our whole lives are better with God in them. And I'm sure you'd agree that who we are today has a lot to do with how we were raised in our formative years. But you also know kids, I bet, who have developed a relationship with God despite the fact that they weren't raised to know God at all right? In fact, that describes some of you here today. And parenting, gosh, parenting is a tough job. There's no manual, there's no simple formula to follow to make sure you get it right, unfortunately. I wish I could find one of those to turn out great kids. And so much in our world today is actually working against us as parents, keeping us from being able to raise our kids well. You know, there are all kinds of parents in our society today in all kinds of parenting styles there's the the tiger parent who's constantly pushing their kids to to perform better and to be better than all the other kids in their class in one way or another there's the the snow plow parent who's constantly removing obstacles to make sure their kids have every opportunity afforded to them There's the the helicopter parent, right? That's always kind of hovering over their kids to make sure you they never make they never have anything bad happen to them. They never make a mistake. And then there are the there's the free range parents who just kind of let their kids go and just do whatever the heck they want to do. And you know they think that freedom is is the thing. You, they'll they'll just kind of learn from their mistakes. If they touch a hot stove, they'll only do it one time, right? And then they'll learn their lesson. And what you we want to see is you know there's this. There's this one chapter in the Bible that just would all of a sudden explain, okay, here's the type of parenting you're to do. That's not the case, is it? In the Bible, you see God giving several examples of ways that we can parent well, but there isn't one specific formula to follow, and that's because God doesn't make kids to fit a formula, right? Every kid is different. You can raise one kid that needs a lot of structure and then have another kid come along that needs a lot of freedom, right? Right? And it's up to us as we pray and discern with God how to determine with each kid how to unlock them. But ultimately, here's what we're to remember. God gives every person, every person, free will, even though God relentlessly pursues every single person. Every person who is ever born is given by God a free will, the ability to make wise decisions or to make foolish ones. The ability to choose to love God or to reject Him. The ability to follow God's ways or to follow their own. Joshua 24 says that we are each called to make that choice in life. In Mark 8, Jesus tells how we're to choose to follow Him. And then in Romans 10, it explains what happens if we do choose to follow God in our lives. The problem is, in my opinion... God didn't make all of our kids to follow, God didn't make, allow us to make our kids into basically robots, (laughs) which I would have really loved. You know, just for some crazy reason, God had in his mind that he would give each one of these kids a free will, right from birth. Makes absolutely no sense to me. I feel like we should be able to at least program them for the first 18 years before we flip the switch and we let them go. But dang it, God didn't give us that opportunity. God wants us to raise them to know him. But ultimately, that choice is theirs, isn't it? Now, most of the time, that works out. Most of the time, if if we're as parents, if we're following after God and we're raising up our children the way they should go, they'll make those choices in life. They will have faith instilled into them. And those other things that we see as important, whether it's responsibility or hard work or tolerance or any of those things, that, that they will follow in our footsteps. But that's not a guarantee. In fact, when you look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, what do you see? You see a father who lets his child go to follow his own path, to do, what, do whatever he wants to do, even though he knows as a father that he's making all the wrong decisions. You know, I, I, can, I can put myself into that story and, it, and it's gut-wrenching. Nowhere in that story does the dad know that his son will return home. Nowhere in that story do we see that change is guaranteed in that kid that that sooner or later he's just going to come back whether he likes it or not because he was raised the right way. And every young adult has to make that decision. But we also know, and this is the promise I want you to hold on to, that God says in his word that he does not stop pursuing them. Look up Psalm 139 this afternoon and read that. See what the promise that God gives you there in relation to that. Or look at Luke 15 in this story of the prodigal son. When you see Jesus tell the story of the prodigal son, you also see him tell the story of of the lost sheep and the lost coin to explain that the father never stops pursuing. He never stops chasing after us until he brings us home. So what should we take from this proverb to wrap things up? As a general rule, let me share this with you. When we raise children consistently and with authenticity to know and to follow God, they will follow. Some of our most teachable moments as parents are going to be those times, not when we're just telling our children what to do, but they see from our example how we make those choices ourselves in tough times in dark times when you don't think they're looking but they really are and oftentimes what we see even this sometimes can come as a disappointment to us as parents but oftentimes those most teachable moments come away from us when they are in children's ministry or they're in student ministry on Sunday nights and someone else is pouring into their lives and reinforcing the very things that you hoped they would get. You've said it over and over again and you just think they're just just not listening. Then all of a sudden they come home and they share this and they're like you're like, were you not listening the last 12 years? The last 15 years have I not said that? Oh, I didn't hear that, right? So that's why at Grace we take children's ministry and student ministry very seriously. We think that those are some of the biggest priorities we have as a church. And that's why our leadership is coming around this student ministry issue very, very quickly. Because we know that these moments are precious in a student's life. And we cannot compromise those. We cannot just kind of coast in those areas. Now for some people, people choo- some people choose to take a path with a few more detours in their lives than others. Right. In those moments, we have to rest in the sovereignty of God and His loving pursuit over them for however many months or years it takes. We're gonna, we'll never raise kids perfectly, but God doesn't expect us to. In fact, God rescues some people from failed parenting. God was the only perfect parent, and even many of His children choose to reject Him. The last thing I'll share with you and then I promise I'll wrap up here and that is this that if things don't turn out quite like we planned which does happen sometimes we keep hoping and we keep praying we never give up we pray because God tells us in his word that it works and we hope because we know that God loves them way more than we ever will to give you an example, my Uncle Harry, some of you know this story. My Uncle Harry, um, his dad died at the age of 30. And um, as an adult, once he tur- after he turned 30, he chose to have nothing to do with God, in part because of losing his dad, despite how he was raised. His family, especially his sister, my grandmother, prayed for him every single day for decades, faithfully for decades. And it wasn't until he was 73 years old that a preacher came up to him and shared with him an obscure story from the Old Testament about an axe head floating on water that the light turned on and he accepted Christ. And it was just two short weeks after that that he unexpectedly died. That story continues to remind me that God has his hand on us whether we want it or not. And any opportunity that he can to help us make that decision. He will, but he'll never force it. He'll never force it on us. Maybe you're here today and that describes your life. Maybe you're kind of like Uncle Harry today. And faith just hasn't really been a priority for you. Maybe you've actually been in a place where you've rejected faith. And you're like, you know what, I just, I'm really not interested. I'm here because a friend or a, a, my mom brought me here today or I lost a bet, whatever it might be. That, that's fine. I'm, I'm just glad you're here. And I want you to know that every single week that you do happen to come to grace, you are not only welcome, but you will feel safe here. No one will ever try to cram faith down your throat, but we will tell you about how much God truly loves you because he does. But I also know that there are some of you here today who find yourself on the other side. You're raising kids and you worry. You're wondering if you're doing it right. Right? <laughs> Or you're kind of beyond that point and you now have adult kids, and perhaps one or two of them aren't following the way that you hoped they would, and that breaks your heart and it keeps you up at night, and you've beat yourself up at times thinking, What did I do wrong? Let me encourage you this morning that Proverbs never told you you've done something wrong. But Psalm 139 promises you that God's got them. That's a guarantee. You know, I have a son-in-law right now who uh, he's a great guy. He doesn't know Christ. And I pray for him constantly that he will come to know Christ. And I also, as I said, I have a 15-year-old that constantly keeps me on my knees, (laughs) making me say, God, please don't let me screw this kid up. But reminding me that God's got it. And God's got your kids too. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And I'm going to ask Rick to join me in serving communion this morning. Communion is a time when we remind ourselves of how much God loves us, of how he so relentlessly pursued us that he even sent his son to a cross to die to make sure that that relationship was there if we wanted it. God gives us that free will, and we each, each one of us, we had that opportunity to say no. But God affords us so many opportunities in our lives to say yes. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to pray with me, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, about what it would look like for you to take one step closer to Jesus this morning. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you to think, what would it take for you to consider making that step this morning? And if you are a follower of Jesus, what is God asking of you? Perhaps in the the students and the children in your sphere of influence. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to share from your word. God, I pray this morning for each and every parent who is here. Each and every parent who has wondered if they're doing it right, if they're raising their kids right, or if they have done something wrong. And God, I pray that you would just give us a sense of peace and calm. And remind us that this is all in the palm of your hands. God, we thank you for this promise that we remind ourselves of here at communion. This promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. This promise that you love us with a crazy, unconditional love. And Lord, in this time, we remind ourselves of that. In Jesus' name, amen.